What's up, everybody? This is Cortland from ndhackers.com, where I talk to the founders of profitable internet businesses, and I ask them what's going on behind the scenes so that the rest of us can learn from their examples and become indie hackers ourselves. Today, I'm talking to Mike Carson. He's the founder of Park.io. How's it going, Mike? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing great. I got some, uh, some new glasses in the mail today, and they are, I think, the wrong prescription, so it's a little bit hard for me to see. But other than that, life is good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so you were on Indie Hackers a year ago for your company, Park.io, and you were one of the most popular interviews that we have ever done on the site, and for a good reason. So for anyone who hasn't read your text interview, I think it was a great quote you have in there that really sums up why your interview is so popular. You said, Park.io is set to break over $1 million in revenue this year, and I am the only employee. And that really speaks for itself. I think you're living every bootstrapper's dream. Uh, you're checking all the boxes. You are you know, self-employed and killing it. And so I just want to ask you a lot of questions about what that feels like later on. But to begin with, there are probably a lot of people listening in who haven't read your interview yet. So can you explain what Park.io is and how you got started working on it? Yeah, sure. So um, Park.io is like a it's a domain drop catch catching service for um, kind of like hacker domain domain like cctlds like .io .ly .me. But um, so a domain drop catching service is like uh, when domains expire. So you have to renew domains every year, and if they expire, sometimes if it's a good domain, there's a lot of competition to get that domain right when it becomes available for registration. And so uh, Park.io focuses on creating scripts to get them as fast as possible so that we can get them for, for our users um, when they become available. And uh, yeah, I got started. So what got me into, I, I mean, I, I'm a hacker. Like I, I feel like I'm, I identify as a hacker. I, I'm on Hacker News. I love Hacker News. I, I feel like it's like my people there. <laughs> I, re, I read it every day and I've been reading it for like 10 years. And I just love, I mean, I love the content there. And yeah, like I was into .io domains because, you know, that's what a lot of hackers were using them because a lot of the .coms were taken. So so there was one I wanted for a project, like me and my friend were going to build this thing, and we saw that the domain smile.io had become available, or it, it was it was expiring, and we figured out, you know, the day, the, the exact day it was going to become available, but we didn't know the time. So I wrote this script that would check it every second, and when it became available, it would email me. Around dinner time, it, I was about to sit down, and I got an email, and, and I rushed to the computer, but somebody had already registered it. And it was pretty frustrating, but it led me to like look more into this and um, you know figure out exactly what time, and also to look at all the domains that are becoming available. And you know, I started to see some good ones becoming available, and there wasn't there wasn't a lot of competition to get some of them. I mean, I hand registered some of some really good ones like Ask.io and really, like, yeah, and and a lot of two letter.io domains. So for me, I was just getting them for future projects. You know, I thought these are too cool to like not <laughs> register, and I'm, I don't know what I'm exactly what I would use them for, but I probably will use them, and I think they're valuable, so I might as well. So I started getting like more and more, like I don't know, twenty domains or twenty-five, and you know, the cost. You know, so I was adding up the the cost. <laughs> like I was talking with my wife and. I, I was like, this, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm get, I, I think they're valuable. I think it's worth more than I'm paying for them. And so she actually suggests, she was like, well, why don't you try selling, you know, a couple just to see if you're right about that? And so 
I did. I thought I put one on Flippa. There's this website, Flippa.com, where you can auction domain names and stuff. And so I put one on there, and uh, it sold. It was a two-letter .io domain. It sold for two thousand dollars, and so I registered it for like forty dollars. And so then uh, I thought maybe that was just a fluke. So I tried it again, and then it, it you know it worked. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to scale this. I'll try to scale this up and see how you know what I can do with it. And that's basically how it kind of started. And when was this? End of 2013, 2014. I started Park.io in like June 2014. Yeah, that's so interesting because you think, like even in 2013, 2014, kind of the feeling that most people probably had around that time is that like buying domains and selling them is, that time is over. That ship has sailed. You know, like people were doing that in the late 90s. It doesn't work anymore. That's what I would have said if you had asked me. I know. I think this is one big lesson from this is like, you're never too late because I was like I was late later than everybody else, you know, to domains. I mean, I like twenty people twenty years before, you know, when I started were getting into domain investing and like, and so like twenty years later on internet like uh, business, like that's you know that's way late. So uh, yeah, you're basically you're never too late for <laughs> something. Is a big lesson from that. So I want to get a handle on the exact business model for Park.io. How do I, as an interested customer, buy one of your domains? And what's the breakdown of your revenue look like? So if you go to park.io, we list all the domains that are going to become available in the next week. And you can place an order for uh, one of those. And if we get it for you, and you're the only person that ordered it, uh, you're charged $99, which includes the one-year registration for the domain. If other users also ordered it, then it goes to a 10-day auction. Okay. What about the other domains that you've, because I imagine you could probably bought a lot of domains that people have yet to bid on and that haven't been sold. How do I buy one of those? Do I, is there still an auction or is it just a flat $99? When I was first starting out, I got a lot of domains for like a private, private portfolio of domains. And I, now, like, as I've through parked at Ion stuff, I've gained a lot of knowledge in like the prices of like the market basically for domains. And so um, I have a good feel for it. So I've, I've bought domains from others, and so I, I also have like half of the revenue I have is from also from like buying and selling domains on my own, and then half of it's through Park.io. Got it. So you've got a lot of personal domains, but what happens if you see a domain expiring, but nobody bids on it through Park.io? If nobody places an order for it, we won't try to get it. But if people order it, then we'll we'll get it for them. So um, it's only if you know if there's interest. So let's go back to the beginning of the story. You've sold a few domains here. You, you realize that you can buy these domains for a few tens of dollars and sell them for 10 times more than that. What was your first step in deciding that, hey, this is not just going to be a hobby. This should be my full-time job. Or was there ever a moment like that? Really, I just became full-time like a couple months ago. I uh, I have I had another startup, wise, uh, wisehive.com. And um, so I was working on that mostly. And... It was just, yeah, it was just this thing I thought was fun, and I just did it, and I, you know, it just became kind of fun, and I was doing it on my own. Like I didn't have Park.io at first; I was just kind of writing my scripts on my own. And there's a few competitors. I even like reached. There's a guy in Germany who, um, you know, every now and then he would beat me, uh, and we chatted on Skype back and forth a little bit. But then eventually, I I figured out a way to beat him consistently. So I was constantly getting them and so that's when I was like I decided okay maybe I can make this a service for others also and so yeah I just uh, 
I decided, yeah, around the summer of 2014 that I would create like a front end and make this a service for other people. Um, and so I spent a couple of weeks like creating a user interface and, you know, just making a way you can do payments with Stripe and things like that. And, uh, and then I launched it. So when you say that you were beating this other guy, you're referring to the speed with which you could register these domains that were expiring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's really competitive. I mean, it's like, it's almost like free money. I mean, it's like if you get you you can register a domain for forty dollars, and sometimes you can sell it for you know ten thousand dollars or something. And so there's a, a lot of competition to try to get the domain. Uh, you know, and, the, and anybody in the world can do it basically. And so you're always trying to figure out what's uh, you know how are they getting how they get it. That's you know how did I get beat that time, and what can I do to optimize this? What can I how can I make it better? And so yeah, it's like. He was, you know, I, I had my scripts running full, you know, full force and he would still beat me sometimes. And then, so yeah, it's just figuring out a way to get better and better. And I mean, that still happens today. It's still very competitive. And Yeah, I mean, it kind of reminds me, I talked to this guy, Waibo Shop, and I hope I'm saying that right. I'm probably not. But he, he ran a lyric site in like the 2000s. And it was similarly extremely competitive because they were all competing for like these front page spots on Google. And so every single time he would move down in the rankings, he would do a bunch of research and try to figure out what his competitors were doing to get to build their page rank. And I imagine that's the same for you. Like what you started off doing, you probably evolved your techniques for getting these domain names very quickly. Yeah, and I mean, I think this is just a common thing with business. Like I, I read this really good. Well, I actually listened to it on Audible, but there's this book called Shoe Dog by um, Phil Knight, the, the founder of Nike, and it's a it's a great book. But like he in his in the business, it's like there's constantly something that seems like it's a huge crisis that feels like it's going to end everything. I mean, it's like, I mean, it, that that's a pretty, that's kind of, I, I could relate to that book a lot when, because like the last two years, it's like, oh crap, this is, this route, this, I'm over, I'm done, it's done. But then <laughs> like you figure out a way and uh, you just kind of figure out a way to get around it. You learn that even though it seems like a huge, horrible crisis, there's probably a way to work around it or make it work for you or something. So I think one of the things that makes your story so interesting is that you sort of like hit it big pretty early on. I mean, a lot of the, the companies that I talk to you spend months or even years kind of in this pre-product market fit phase where they don't know what their users want and their product isn't good enough or it's not even done yet. Uh, and then they finally figure it out and start making money where Really, like your first time even dabbling in it, you immediately figured out, like, hey, this could this could be something that works. And so, most of the challenges came after that point for you. What are some of the some of these challenges that like had you worried that it was all over? Well, I mean, the the competition, you know, sometimes the competition does that. Um, also, you know, one time actually, the .io registry decided to have their own back orders. <laughs> that was actually in like December of 2014, like right after I started it. And I was like, whoa, well, <laughs> what am I going to do now? <laughs> I mean, I can't compete against the registry, but it didn't turn out to be that popular and it it was expensive and theirs was different. Like you had to pay up front and if you if somebody renewed the domain, the, you didn't get your money back. And so it had its own risks and stuff. And I was surprised that we were, I was able to figure out a, a way to continue going through that, and actually, 
Park Dorayo continued to do pretty well after that. So it's something, you know, something like that. It seemed like it's totally like a game stopper. It, it felt like at the time I was like, well, what am I going to do now? Uh, you know, I guess I'm just going to have to close everything down. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> but, but then, uh, yeah, it wasn't like that. When we talked last year, I think you had just hit $125,000 a month in revenue. What did the path look like to go from just selling a couple of domains to a number that huge? So .io domains make up most of the revenue, and I think just the growth in .io has been big. And and I, you know, I started using it just because like a lot of hackers were using it, and it, it was a good alternative. But then, no domain investors really knew about .io. They're like they just kind of blew it off as not being important, and so they started to become more aware of its value and. Also, there's some other things that happen with .io. Like, there's some games that started to take off, like Slither.io, which really made people a lot more aware of .io domains. And then recently, with cryptocurrencies, uh, a lot of them are using like Filecoin.io. So I think it's kind of just the general growth of the space that also helped too. It's like you're kind of in this, you're riding this wave that's, that's happening around you, and you're able to take advantage of just how much people were into IOs and how much it grew and you kind of got in, maybe not at the very beginning, but like at a good point where you could kind of be carried along by it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, one piece of advice I would give to people is, and it's probably been said a lot of times before, but, you know, like this is the story of my life, basically. It's like, you know, I did a bunch of things, like just launched a bunch of things and they were all most of them at first, you know, most of them, like 90% of them, just like nobody used, nobody cared about, didn't really take off. And you just, I just kind of had to like suck it up and, you know, quit and, and quit, tried to quit fast and then do another thing. And then one day you just luck out, you know, <laughs> one day you just <laughs> luck out. And then, and then you just try to, yeah, I mean, that's, so basically my advice would be just do a bunch of things, you know, when it doesn't work, it, it's going to be obvious when it doesn't work. Like after a month, if you're still like trying, don't fight reality. Like if it's not working, just stop. And what I would do is just stop and start something else. And then one time you'll, you will see, and you'll know that it's working because it'll be clearly obvious that it works. And then just take advantage of that one, you know, cause it doesn't come along a lot. So just, you know. Do a bunch of things. You'll know what doesn't work. You know what does. And when you do see the one that does, take advantage of it as much as you can. It's so fascinating to think about because on one hand, like you really did luck out that this IO wave grew to be such a big thing. But on the other hand, you were so prepared for it. I mean, you've spent years just working on project after project and obviously honing your skills and getting better to the point where when you hit on this good idea, you're in a great position to actually take advantage of it. I mean, you actually had to compete against these other developers and what's basically a gold rush to write better algorithms than they do and better scripts that can act faster and, and buy these expiring domains. And at the same time, you need a user interface that's pleasant and easy and simple enough that you can communicate your value proposition to customers and they can actually enjoy the process of bidding on domains through your site versus your competitors, which included like the .io registry itself. And this whole thing is something that I can personally relate to because I spent years working on projects that didn't really amount to much before I eventually got the idea for Andy Hackers, which has done very well, relatively speaking. So on one hand, it's very easy to get discouraged when you spend time on a product and you launch it and nothing happens. Or you spend time on a product and you don't even get to the point where you launch it and you quit early. 
But on the other hand, it's important to realize that what's really going on is you're actually building up a skill set. And so even if something doesn't work out, you walk away from that with permanent knowledge that can help you in the future that you didn't know beforehand. I'm undoubtedly much faster and more prolific as a developer as a result of all those projects that I've worked on. I've improved as a product designer and a visual aesthetic designer like tenfold over where I was just a few years ago. I'm better with servers and with AWS, and I didn't know anything about that stuff when I first got started, and every site I built used to crash. And then there are all these intangible skills too, like having a better intuition for good versus bad ideas, what customers find valuable, how to talk to people, how to write compelling marketing copy, etc. This is all just stuff I picked up out of necessity after failing so many times. So looking at it this way, maybe the most important thing that you can do is just to make sure you're always working on things that are a little bit out of your comfort zone. So at the very least, you'll come away with extra knowledge and also to have the patience to keep going even when you fail because you realize that what you're learning is making you more and more formidable as a founder. But at the same time, all the stuff about quitting fast is such challenging advice to follow because you hear these stories about people who for example, like Airbnb is the one I always mention, but they stuck with like one idea that wasn't working for years and years until they made it work. And then you hear stories from people like you who quit immediately when things weren't working and just switched to something else. So how do you know when to quit something? You know, How do you know if it's a bad idea and that's why it's not working or if it's a good idea but you just haven't figured out how to make it work yet? Yeah, I mean, maybe I just didn't have patience as like the Airbnb guys or whatever, but or maybe they just had the determination because they really saw the value in it. I don't know, but I think from my from my personality, my standpoint as like a hacker, it's like I think we have the opportunity to do really quick businesses online that could make things like right out of the gate can start making a lot of money with you know just the work of ourselves, and so as a I would recommend to other developers, hackers, is to to do it the way that I suggest, and maybe not the Airbnb way, because I think it's you could get like I started a website which was letters.io, which was you know handwritten letter like I it was it was going to be you could buy handwritten letters and we'll send them out and it, you know it's like a software as a service like but we would send out handwritten letters and it was like not a very good idea. I don't think it was a very good idea. <laughs> and if I would have stayed with that for you know really trying to make it work, it would have just, it's like fighting reality, I feel like. So, yeah, I don't know. I guess if you have strong conviction on something, maybe the Airbnb, they just had this, they just really believed in it. But I think as a hacker, at least my personality, I, I think it really works to just try a lot of things and, you know, one will take off. Yeah. And I wouldn't say that you didn't have persistence at all, because I think you know, there's two different types of persistence. There's sticking with one idea, and then there's sticking with like the entire endeavor and coming up with lots of ideas, but you still kept going even when things failed. And I think for most people, even that's challenging. Like It's really easy when one of your ideas doesn't work to just say, screw it, I'm getting a job, or you know, I'm done with this stuff, it's, it's too much work. Uh, but one of the things that you said that really stuck out to me was kind of the importance that you put on the idea. And this is something you hear advice on that's all over the map. Like when I first started getting into startups and following Hacker News and Y Combinator, the phrase that I heard all the time was, your idea doesn't matter. It's all about the execution. And if you start with a bad idea, you can just pivot into a good one. But over the last seven or eight years, I've increasingly believed that your idea actually does matter quite a lot. And if you can start somewhere close to the mark, then you're making things much, much easier on yourself because it's very easy to get discouraged and quit if you start with a very bad idea. So I'm curious how you think about 
the idea for Park.io and how it evolved over time? Because you certainly didn't start, you know, right out of the gate saying, "Here's my exact game plan." Well, yeah, I mean, what I, with regards to the idea thing, I mean, I basically what I feel like I learned through Park.io and what I kind of recommend to people. I mean, it's is like don't even start with an idea. Like don't like there's like two schools of thought. The idea doesn't matter, or like the idea is really important. But uh, maybe there's another one which is like. Don't worry about the idea. like an idea. Don't even think about the idea because if you don't think about the idea, then you're focusing more on what you just things you find interesting, what you enjoy, and then the idea kind of comes to you anyway. And plus, I didn't really come up with. I don't feel like I really came up with an idea. Honestly, I don't feel like I like. I, I feel like it just uh, kind of happened. It was just like this. It, it's more like the idea happened to me or something. It's not. I didn't. Things just happened out of my own like interest in exploring these different things. And with a lot of the other things I did before, it was like I had an idea. Oh, what about this? I'll do this. And so yeah, I think maybe that's one way, one different perspective maybe for people to think about is be open to uh, creating businesses. You know, if the opportunity arises, but maybe um, just explore things that you're interested in, and uh, something will come of that. I think doing something you're interested in is extremely important in terms of what we were just talking about, too, and not quitting. Because to your point, I see a lot of people trying too hard to think about what their idea is going to be in terms of what can make money. And then they end up doing stuff like selling raincoats to people in Siberia or something that they don't really care about, you know? And after a, a couple of weeks, like, this sucks, I quit. Whereas in your case, if you're a hacker and you've got all these different projects you're working on that are fun and you're trying to get a good domain, it's a situation that's much more amenable for one thing to lead to another and for you to stumble onto something cool and profitable before you get burned out and tired. Plus you have good domains for your other projects that you want to work on. <laughs> exactly. So how many other projects have you worked on? Because it sounds like you've been building stuff for a long time. Uh, well, there's a bunch of projects that, you know, like I don't like built that have failed and like are forgotten kind of. But then there's a few things that I'm working that I kind of still am working on, like um, file.io. Is uh, it's like e convenient, easy file sharing that's anonymous and secure, and it's ephemeral. So like you can you upload a file, and the first time it's downloaded, it's deleted right away. Um, and it, and there's a simple API for it, so you can use that. But um, so file.io, then there's a there's this name server.io. You can see them all at, if you go to humbly.com. Different projects that I've started. And what is your your schedule look like? like how, many, how many hours a week are you spending on Park.io right now? And how many hours a week are you spending on File.io and your other businesses? Uh, yeah, most of it's Park.io. But yeah, lately I've been um, also really interested in like the blockchain stuff. So I've been looking more into that and really interested in possibly doing a project with that. Like, so yeah, I've been spending a little time with that, but mostly, yeah, it's all Park.io. You're just all over the place doing everything. So are you transparent at all with these other projects you're working on? Like, have you shared revenue numbers with File.io? I mean, so Park.io has made it so that I can launch some things that are not profitable right away. And then uh, if they're not that expensive, I can just keep them going for free or, you know, see what happens. So File.io, basically, it was free for like the first year. And then I was thinking of shutting it down because it, you know, it wasn't a lot of expense, but it was an expense, and I just didn't. So, but then um, I got uh, it kind of like a white label service. So, uh, from one client who 
was willing to pay a certain amount, like for for a year. So it's like, I mean, it's it may like basically it's it's profitable, but it's like really small revenue, like to, you know. And then same with NameServer.io. There's like a few users for that. So yeah, they're not they're not like huge, making lots of money, but they're like just barely profitable. And like, how did you decide to be transparent about Park.io in the first place? Because I, I know like there's probably some other people out there running some extremely profitable businesses by themselves who just don't want to say anything because they're afraid of competition or they're afraid of revealing their secrets. What 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 was going through your mind when you decided like, hey, I'll I'll sign up for an Indie Hackers interview and just tell everybody what I'm up to? Yeah, not much was going through my mind. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I, mean I, don't, I, I don't know. I guess I'm more, I, I tend to be more open about things. Uh, I don't know if that was a mistake because, because you know, some, now when I try to buy domains from people, I think they quickly find that Indie Hackers interview and they're like, you know, ask a lot more. <laughs> so it might have had a little impact there. But also, at the, I mean, I really appreciate you, you know, doing that because it did bring a lot of, Users, a lot of people say, um, you know, they found they found me through that. So, um, but yeah, I don't know. I guess I just I, there wasn't much thinking really involved, and in I just um, tend to try to be more open with things. I guess. Well, that's interesting that it actually brought some traffic to you, and that it kind of affected your business in that way. And I kind of want to get back to the story about how you grew your revenue to 125k a month because that's like a huge number, and I know that doesn't happen overnight, even if you found something that's. Doing as well and as as desired as Park.io was. So, what are some of the marketing techniques that you use to bring people to your service, and how did people even find out that Park.io existed? Yeah, I don't. I you know, I think I feel like this is kind of one indicator of you know it's working for you. Like a project is working is like you don't have to do any marketing at all. Really, it's like uh, I didn't do any marketing. I just well, what I did is any domains we got, I just put a parked page up that said. You know, this domain is parkdownpark.io. And that's how the first users came. And then I think it came from word of mouth from that. There was, yeah, not really any marketing involved. Have you seen like your traffic numbers change and grow over time? Or has it been kind of like it grew initially and it's just been flat? Yeah, I think it grew to about last year's growing really fast. I think it it's kind of correlates to basically the .io growth. Uh, it grew really fast until like last year, and then maybe it's flattened out a little since then. What about your early growth? Like in the first few months after launching Park.io, what kinds of numbers were you seeing in traffic or I guess in revenue to convince you that this was an idea worth sticking with? Basically, the, what I remember from the beginning is like uh, selling a couple domains and they're pretty profitable sales, and then just Thinking to myself, okay, well, I, what I want to try to do now is take take the profit from these domains and buy more domains and see how how far it could go that way, and that worked pretty well. And then, yeah, I remember thinking, okay, I'm gonna tr- why don't I try to sell this service, you know, sell it as a service online for other people, and you know, I thought, what's the risk? I, you know, I build the basically the only risk is my time. So, and it won't it, sh- it shouldn't take that long because I have all the scripts already built and stuff. So, basically, it's building the user interface. And I mean, it took it took some time, you know, but a certain number of hours is what I risk, and then not much fine, not much financially. Um, you know, it's co- the cost to run the servers and stuff is not that much. So, basically, it came down to well, here's an opportunity to um, here's an opportunity, and there's not much risk potential. Rewards, so I, I did it, and then yeah, it turned out to be pretty good. A, a lot of people 
started using it. I think the first few months, uh, the revenue. I mean, I, th- I think I only had .io domains at that time, and not many people knew about the site at first. Uh, and so, the, I think the first few months, the revenue from Park.io was like five thousand dollars a month. And then, um, I think on the fourth month, we got we caught the domain smtp.io, and there was a few businesses who were interested in that one, and uh, and SendGrid ended up getting it for like five thousand or something, which was the highest sale at the time. And, but I was really happy that. To that SendGrid was a customer, and so uh, yeah, that was probably a, another milestone at that point. With like more people started using it, and then um, yeah, and then it grew from there. I guess. What kinds of product decisions and changes did you make once you saw that Park.io was really working out, and you started making these sales, and you saw that your revenue was five thousand dollars a month and growing? Because I can't imagine that the product as it existed at the very beginning is still how it is now. So yeah, I mean, what I did, a couple things I did was add more CCTLDs, which you have to like research. I mean, with the CCTLDs, it's kind of it's kind of interesting. They're like the wild west of domains because each CCTLD is country code top level domain like .io. Uh, so there are two. Anything that ends with .dot with .dot two letters is a country code top level domain, um, and it's and they have their own rules. Everyone has their own rules, and they don't. Actually, even follow ICANN rules, uh, so um, it's interesting. Like .io is Indian Ocean is what it stands for, but you know a lot of hackers use it as input output. But there, I think the British government or something, uh, some company in I think <laughs> United Kingdom or something runs it. And but like .ly is Libya, so I. You know, and that's like a war-torn country, and it's, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's been really interesting. A, a lot of the researching, a lot of these CCTLDs. I was just curious, like, what, what kinds of things did you change, and what kind of code did you write once you saw that Park.io was working out? I mean, you, you talk about adding CCTLDs, but was that the plan from the beginning? What was your roadmap like? I think the roadmap, the easy roadmap, was adding CCTLDs like .ly because you know a lot of people use that, and so that was the uh, an easy roadmap was adding these CCTLDs. And then, I mean, the other part of the whole thing is just when I first built it, I built it very bare bones, and um, you know there was a lot of things I did manually, and then just uh, building that out more so that it's a lot more automated and self service and things like that. I think one of the cooler parts of your story is that it's just you. I haven't talked to very many solo founders and solo developers who've had as much success as you've, as you've had revenue-wise. I think just probably you and Mike Parham from Sidekick, maybe maybe Brennan Dunn. But a lot of the other people that I've talked to who've had these outsized results and built these million-dollar companies have generally built teams behind them. Even if they started out as a solo founder, now they've got 10 or 11 employees. What has enabled you to stay solo for so long? Well, I yeah, I mean, I got to that like there was a point where it's like, should I hire? Like, there's a lot of pressure or a lot of stuff online and people who you know they're like, oh, you got to hire a team, you got to build, you got to grow, grow. Like now's the you got to grow, and I so I was thinking, okay, yeah, I got to do, I got to hire some people, but then I thought about it, and I don't know, I. I think I don't know if that's a great advice like always trying to grow. I mean, people 
you know, that you see that everywhere and it's almost like taken as fact, like you should grow, you should just really try to grow your business always. And I don't know if that is the best advice. If you're, if you want, like, it depends what you're trying for, if you're going for, well, if you just want to make as much money as possible, then, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that, then you, uh, then maybe trying to grow is the best way. Maybe not, though. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe because when you grow, you become slow. Like if you become a big company with a lot of people, you're slower to make decisions. There's meeting. I mean, I hate meetings. <laughs> like meeting. Like I, I don't know. Like it's just like slow. A lot of like there's just a lot less things that happen. You can't make decisions as fast. In, in a lot of ways, you slow down. And also, you become. Uh, you know, there's people who aren't as attached to it as you are like or who care about the users as much i mean maybe if you hire the right people i don't know but like you know i I see other companies like like what's the goal is the goal to become like equifax you know like you grow so big that you you know like you you let out like you make such horrible (laughs) mistakes and cause you know like so what you know if the goal is for happiness like which is what i which is what i want to do like i want to optimize for happiness and for my personality and everything it's like this is what works for me the best is uh and also i feel like you know i can i can make the decisions faster i can do things faster so yeah i don't know if grow you know if you i'm kind of i'm a little anti-growth with all with all of the stuff that's out there. I mean, I don't think in, in the in the right circumstance, you know, for certain things, it's yeah, like Airbnb or something. Yeah, it makes sense you want to grow. But I think in a lot of ways it's a little bit more like, I don't know if this is a good example, but like a painter, you know, when they paint a picture, do they want to I mean it almost asking a company to grow or, you know, your project to grow, it's almost like saying you you want the painting to get bigger and <laughs> you want to grow the pa- you want to have the biggest painting it's almost like well that is one way to do it but it might take away from certain things like it might like you uh if you care about the product like what you're doing and you care about the users and stuff you i, I don't know I, so i don't know if gr- growing is always the best thing to, to try to do I, for me i found that trying to do trying to optimize like my happiness and stuff is, has worked out much better yeah, I totally understand and agree with pretty much everything you said. And like you're right, there are situations where like growing really helps. You know, there are companies that could not make it if they didn't have hundreds of people working there. But at the same time, like like what you said for example about development speed. If you look at someone like Peter Levels, like that guy's cranking out features every day like it's nothing. And then you see these other like big companies with 20 or 100 or 200 employees who like release one feature every 2 months and then celebrate it as if, you know, it's it's unbelievable to get things out that fast it's like there's just so many barriers and like you said i like your painting analogy too like what's the point of having the biggest painting for the sake of having the biggest painting if you're happy with like a small painting where you can focus more on you know the details that matter to you so i have to ask you like one of the things that pressures people into growing is just being overwhelmed by different parts of their business you know maybe there are so many features that need to get added that they need to hire developers and maybe customer support has you know, taking up so much of their time, they really need to hire some, some, you know, customer support people. I know that every project that I've ever worked on, I've seen my to-do list grow longer and longer and longer with just things that I really want to get done, but I just don't have the time to do by myself. What have you felt in terms of pressure that would cause you to hire or that that has been hard for you as a solo founder? Yeah, I mean, it is like there. Yeah, I mean, I have to do everything. So, um, like dealing with support issues takes time, and 
yeah, features, and then like just making sure that the code is like refactoring the code and make you know tests and stuff. So yeah, there's a lot, there is a lot, and it would be nice to have some help. Yeah, I think the hardest thing, I I, I think the hardest thing with doing something like this on your own is just not having another perspective, like another set of eyes or you know a, a different perspective on ideas and things, uh, like especially with regards to the code, you know, like I would just, <laughs> it'd be nice to have somebody looking over a lot of the code just to make sure. I mean, that's why I think like testing, a lot of test automated testing uh, is really important when, when it's just you. But um, I really would, I, I know I could, it would be, it would add a lot of value to have somebody else just looking over things. Because it's just, you can't just, you can't see everything. Like you're going to miss some things. It's just inevitable. And uh, so, yeah, that's probably the biggest pain point. And also just like ideas about where to go or what to do or like ideas on the design of, you know, the UI or different things, just being able to have a, a different perspective on things. I mean, I ask my wife a lot of the, like a lot of questions and she's really helpful with it, but you know, she's not a developer. So, so yeah, there, it is a lot, there is a lot and it would be nice to have some help with that. One of the interesting things that you talked about back when you did your text interview last year for ndhackers.com was just how important automation is to your business. And you explicitly mentioned that the only reason why you can run things as a solo founder is because you've got so many bots helping you out with things behind the scenes. I think that's fascinating because I myself have this gigantic list of things that I need to automate for ND hackers that are taking up my time every week. And it's hard figuring out, you know, when do I have the time to build some automated software so that I can save myself time in the future. So I'd really like to pick your brain here about all of your automation and just learn what kind of bots you're building and what jobs you're having them do. Maybe the place to start is to just ask you overall, like, what's your philosophy on, on automation and how do you approach it? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess one f- kind of philosophy that has seems to have worked and I guess would, might be good advice for other people starting out is that when I built Park.io at first, I just made the bare bones. Like there was a lot of stuff that was done manually, you know, like user actions. I, I don't know, I don't remember exactly the things, but it could have been something like maybe even like setting the name servers for a certain CCTLD domain. Um, that could have been a manual thing. And when somebody did it, I would just see, oh, they entered this in to do this, and then I would take care of it. <laughs> and I did it that way just to, you know, be fast, and also because you don't know, maybe I would build something that's automated that nobody would use, and it would be a waste of time. So my kind of philosophy with the whole thing was build the bare bones, and then once I get start doing something over and over and over again, uh, then I automate it, and then it's like a big relief. Oh, I have all this time, <laughs> and then you know another thing comes up that I'm doing manually over and over and over, and then I auto- I try to automate it, and then it saves a lot of time. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's a big advantage for developers these days. Is I mean, there's so much you can do. There's so much that can be done automated. And what kinds of languages and technology are you relying on here? Is everything on AWS? Are you using Lambda? Do you have Zapier scripts? Yeah, I'm using, uh, well, it's all on AWS, uh, and it's just like EC2, and uh, it's actually, um, the website is just built with, uh, PHP using PHP. The scripts are uh, I use Node.js for a lot of the scripts on the back end. So, um, what are some of the jobs that you've automated and written bots to do? 
It's, I mean, all, there's a lot of uh, data collection. I, I guess for Park.io specifically, there's like a lot of data collection and like analyzing that. And then, um, well, like domain name stuff. Like, yeah, like who is information or even other things like um, there's this service called estabot.com where they give appraisals of domain names. And so you can hook that up, get the appraisals and use that, and then also use other things uh, in combination with that, like um, even using GitHub. Like, so I mean, like, I, I realized that uh, if, if the word of a domain name it has a lot more. Um, results in GitHub, it's it's a lot more valuable of a domain name, and so I even hooked up the GitHub API to analyze that. And I mean, a lot of the it, this is not so much on the Park.io side; it's more like on the personal research domain investing side, just like learning more, like getting a better idea of everything. But I think that this is where developers have a huge advantage because you know, I like in the domain name industry, there's not a lot of developers, surprisingly, because I feel like it's an internet thing, but that. Uh, there's not a lot of developers, and they have to do a lot of this manually. Like I don't know how they do. It's a lot harder. I think they have to be a lot more resourceful to in, in order to get a lot of this data and uh, you know figure out a lot of these things. So as a developer going into like an industry like that, um, I think we have a, a huge advantage in a lot of ways by automating things. So you've got a lot of stuff to help you figure out which domains to buy and obviously to buy them before your competitors do. Do you have any bots that help you with sort of the softer skills like marketing or customer support or or just the product itself from the customer's point of view? <laughs> I guess it's kind of a hard question to answer. I mean, for marketing, I do have a newsletter, a weekly newsletter that goes out and that is automated. I mean, that it's basically just like collects the current auctions and domains that are dropping in the next week and also like recent sales and it just puts it in there. And sends it out every week, and then, yeah, a lot of the other stuff is uh, things with domain renewals, like domain renewals, um, sending out e- you know, sending out emails to users about different things. I mean, when somebody buys a domain on Park.io, they they uh, get it, it automatically parks a page where somebody can contact them, and so if they are contacted, emails are sent out that way. I don't know. It doesn't seem I. Off the top of my head, I can't think of anything really that sophisticated. <laughs> That's <been automated. laughs> but uh, well, what's cool about it is not even that it's sophisticated, but it's it's more that it's just it's not normal for one person to be able to run a business that generates this much revenue by themselves. It's just not, and I don't know if it's because of the degree to which you've automated things, uh, and maybe it's you know that in combination with the fact that. You really just don't care that much about growth, and you're willing to to maybe make some sacrifices to to live a happy life. But uh, you're doing this incredible thing, and you don't seem particularly stressed out or overworked. Yeah, I mean, I think there's so like it's crazy how many things you can do now as a as a single person, like with technology, like as a developer. Um, I mean, one example I was thinking of recently is like. So the person who's found uh, the person who started Bitcoin. I mean, so this is a theoretically could be one developer, you know, who started Bitcoin, which could revolutionize. Could I mean, I, right now there's you know there's like hundreds of billions of dollars in it, but it could potentially disrupt everything just by one developer doing that. And I don't know if there's other a lot of other industries where one person. Can create something that disrupts, like, and completely changes 
the entire like <laughs> upends the world financial system, you know. So I think, uh, yeah, it's crazy. What and it's exciting. What what can be what you can do. So yeah, I mean it's it's nuts, and I think that's that's kind of why your story is so interesting and it's so inspirational because you're just one person. And yet you've created this company and presumably this lifestyle for yourself that any hacker would would love to have. I mean, number one, like the idea, even if you didn't put that much thought into it to begin with and just kind of fell onto it, it's a brilliant idea. I mean, you're essentially in an industry where the value that you're providing to customers is super clear. I mean, there's no chance they'd be able to get these domains against the other competitors on their own. And it's also something that people are quite comfortable paying for. Like nobody's balks at, at, at paying a few hundred or a few thousand dollars for a domain. And on top of all that, it's, it's kind of self-marketing because the domains that you bought personally are, are advertisements for your business. So you don't really have to exhaust yourself trying to figure out Facebook ads or content marketing or any of this other stuff that typically developers hate doing. And on top of that, you're really taking advantage of the fact that you can live anywhere and build a business on the internet. I mean, you're not like the stereotypical startup developer who works at Facebook or Google and lives in San Francisco paying $4,000 a month rent for a one-bedroom. So I kind of want to like dive into your personal life a little bit before, before we end this episode and find out what it's like to be Mike Carson. For starters, where do you live? I live uh, just outside of Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, I, I, right now my personal life, I mean, I just have a... I, we, I, uh, just had a son, so he's a year old, and I, he takes up a lot of my time. Uh, I mean, yeah, the hacker. I guess when I say I, I'm a hacker, like I don't. Yeah, there. I have friends who are like really good with coding, like um, really smart. I, I'm not like I'm, I'm not <laughs> like that. I, I mean, I, I have the hacker mindset, which is like I just really enjoy reading uh, about ways that people have hacked together things or building. I really love to build. Things that people can use, and um, yeah, my my life. I, I guess my daily life. Like I kind of. I mean, my personality. I'm very introverted. I'm I'm a really introverted <laughs> type of person. But I uh, <laughs> I've kind of like I feel like I've just filtered myself into this place where I don't ever have to go into an office or like. And maybe this is why I don't have a team or anything. But like I just <laughs> you know I I really I feel like I. Get, I don't have to. I don't have a commute. Like there were some times when I was working at Wise I, I mean, I only had to go in once a week to the office, but it was like I dreaded it, and I had to commute like forty-five minutes or an hour, and it, it was just like I felt like this colossal waste of time. And I would sit in the meetings, and it would just be like, well, like we're not getting anything done. It was so I could barely stand it. Like I was like on the, I don't know. I just just work in my office every day, and yeah, I feel like I can get so much more done that way just by focusing. What about like the people around you? Like how how many people look at what you're doing and even understand it? Because I know for a lot of people who are working like outside of a major tech hub, uh, they say they're going to start an online business, and everybody, their friends and their family, look at them like they're crazy. Like they've just grown two heads. And so uh, you know, I, I remember you, you saying like your wife, like you know, was the one who originally recommended that you sell domain names. Do you feel like you have a lot of support from the people around you, or do you kind of stick out like a sore thumb? Um, I don't have that many friends. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that's what, I, like, I read this article, like, when you become middle-aged, uh, and I turned, well, I'm 41 now, but, I like, when when you become middle-aged, like, middle-aged men, they, they don't have a lot of close friends, or a lot, of, in general, a lot of them don't have close friends, and it's actually kind of like a health crisis, because it's more depression and stuff, but, like, 
I feel I can relate to that. And um, I mean, honestly, my wife deserves a ton of credit for Park.io because, and and she doesn't even have like she's not really interested in business. She's definitely not like hacker or anything. <laughs> she's like uh, therapy and stuff. But she, yeah, she's like I bounce all these ideas off her all the time. And she, yeah, initially got me started to selling them, which led to this whole thing. But uh, yeah, so I don't know. I, I mean that. I guess if I could, and this is probably common advice too, but it really has been important for me in my life is, uh, you know, if you if you decide to have a, a partner in your life, <laughs> I, make sure you know <laughs> uh, it, it's important because I was married before, and you know it was uh, it's it's a lot harder when it's not a good relationship. And actually, uh, I think uh, Altucher, James Altucher, I think is his name. He. Uh, he said, like, he makes money when he's in a good relationship and he loses money when he's in a bad relationship. He's not sure if it's because, you know, one or the other. Like, he's not sure if the real, but what causes the other. But, like, for me, it's, I've noticed the exact same thing. It's like, uh, it's important the people you pick in your life. So, yeah, I agree completely. And I think, like, you know, for a lot of people, for example, Indie Hackers itself is a community and there's like a forum on Indie Hackers where all these people who are making stuff can go and talk to each other about what they're building and get feedback, et cetera. And for a lot of people, I think just being able to like share like their ups and downs, what's going wrong, what's going right with other people on the forum is really helpful because they don't have someone in their life, they don't have a relationship, they don't have friends who can identify with what they're doing. And so like I totally agree that like you need to get your personal life together because starting a company, especially if you're gonna go through what you went through and like fail a whole bunch of times and create things that don't work out, like you kind of need like the psychological wherewithal to keep going in that situation. And if things in your personal life are like really stressful or not working out, then it's it's gonna make your business life a lot harder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's that it's interesting. Like also when you launch things online or the, in the internet in general, but on Hacker News, like they you get berated. <laughs> 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 like like actually, the last indie hackers interview I did was when it went, when it was on uh, Hacker News. Like I think two separate. I told I was telling my wife this, two separate people called me a douche. <laughs> like, <laughs> and like I'm not. I, when was the last time? Like I I don't like it's so weird. Like I, in re, in real life, nobody called. I've never been called that except maybe like when I was back in middle school. Or yeah. Something. But like, it's like. Yeah, so I think you get once you launch enough things, or when maybe when you get to a certain age, like forty or something like that, it's like whatever. You don't you give a, you don't care as much, but you kind of have to let those things just go. Like I wouldn't even don't even spend the time defending or anything like that. Like just kind of let it go and move on. Like take what you can from it and just uh, move on. I'm young enough that I like arguing back, but you're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Hacker News is a special place where, uh, quite frankly, a lot of people hang out who aren't actually making stuff and who really just like to tear down the things that other people have made. I don't know. I don't know why it is. It's really toxic. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, there's a lot. Of, you know, there's the egos involved and stuff like that, and it's understandable. I guess people are going through different things in their life, and so. But I mean, Hacker News. The people on Hacker News. I love some of the comments. I mean, I, you can't. Like some of the stuff. It's like I the best and the worst. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I guess. That, yeah, yeah. How has your life changed after starting Park.io? I know a lot of people wonder that if they start something successful, how their life will be different. So you're a pretty good person to ask, given the success of your website. I mean, what's interesting about Park.io is it's not a, a subscription model thing. So it's not like you have a hundred 
subscribers so you can feel kind of confident next you know like next month you're going to get all these uh, you know everybody's going to pay their monthly subscription it's it's like basically you just get orders and if the next month there's no orders then um you you know you don't get any money so i uh so i always kind of had this perspective that i didn't know how long this would last like I, yeah, so I guess I just didn't always feel comfortable. Like I'm always on the edge of my, you know, like I, I'm, I'm always on the, I always feel like, and and the, also the things that happen, like there's constantly competitors coming in and other things where it seems really, it, you never feel, I guess I never really feel that comfortable that things are going to, you know, go on forever like this. So, um, and it also hasn't been that long of going on like this. So I don't know how much my life has changed. I mean, it has been, I, I feel really lucky and uh, grateful that it's done so well so far. And, uh, it, you know, it has made my life easier in some ways. And I've also been able to quit my job and just focus on things that I like doing. So with regards to the money, um, I mean, I didn't buy it. Like, there's a lot I, on Hacker News. Sometimes people talk about like "fuck you" money, which is like, um, you know, you have like you want to have enough so you can do whatever the hell you want to do. I think it started originally with Humphrey Bogart. Uh, wanted he kept some money in his drawer so that if he didn't like what a director was telling him, he could just you know tell him "fuck you" and then he could just do whatever he wanted. But I so I I didn't really buy into that because it's like you know, a homeless person could say the same thing. Like, they, they don't, so I don't know if it's the money so much as the frame of mind that allows you to do something like that. So I guess now it probably has helped me to f focus more on what I want to do. Like, if I just want to work on blockchain stuff, I can. I mean, I, I don't have a boss, so that's, like, nice. Like, some people could say, oh, well, your users are your boss. But I really love my users, and I want them to be happy, and I like, you know, serving them. And so, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a hard question, but uh, I I, don't, I, haven't, I haven't bought a lot of fancy cars or anything like that. But I do feel, you know, more stable and can focus on things I like. More than other people I've talked to, you seem focused on maintaining your happiness as a founder, even to the point where you prioritize it over growing your revenue and your team, which makes a lot of sense, and I'm not sure if I don't talk to as many other people with similar priorities. Are there any other unconventional things you do here that other founders might be able to borrow from you? Yeah, as for optimizing happiness, like like I think uh, focusing on happy users is really good. Like um, if you have happy users, it's just such a more enjoyable thing to work with. Like. Uh, there was a a lot of people on Park.io. A lot of users actually ask for a feature to sell their own domains, like create a marketplace. And I've been reluctant to do that just because I know with marketplaces, um, a lot, I think it would lead to a lot more unhappy users because they may not be able to sell the domains that they have for what they want, or they it might not have the expectations that they want. And I think it would basically just lead to a lot more unhappy users. And so I have, I've been reluctant to do it for that reason. So I think, you know, focusing on having happy users. And one other thing I guess I didn't mention is honesty. Sam Harris wrote this book, Lying, which um, talks about how, like, yeah, people know you shouldn't lie, but, like, even white lies, even little white lies, they don't really serve a purpose and they're not that good. And I think my wife has actually influenced me a lot with this. And so 
I try to really do that, like every email, like I don't even, I try really hard not to have any like white lies or anything like that. And I think it really is good for your users and your, with, all, your, with your relationship to others in business and online and uh, yeah, especially online if, if you're reliable that way. So I, I think that's really important too. That's really interesting advice because I think the stereotypical relationship that businesses have with customers is to constantly tell a bunch of little white lies, to never really be forthcoming and always have this layer of business speak that's very inauthentic. And we don't really think of it that way as lying or as unhealthy just because it's so prevalent. But nowadays, I think there are a lot of founders who are moving towards more transparency and honesty and openness and who aren't afraid to say, hey, I'm just one person working on this thing. Here's what I care about. Here's my roadmap. Here's what I will and won't do. Take it or leave it. And maybe this has been driven somewhat over the years by social media injecting businesses into the sorts of places where normal people hang out with each other. So they've been forced to be more colloquial. But regardless of why it's happening, it really works. People feel closer to you. They feel like they can trust you more. And they're more interested in buying from you when they can read your story and see that they can communicate with you honestly and that you're not just some faceless corporation. It's hard to do, too. I mean, I... Um, and I'm not perfect with. I'm not saying I'm perfect with it, but it's it is actually really hard to do when once you start trying it. But um, I, I think that book's really good. I think people should check it out. It's really short too, so you can read it really quickly. Yeah, I think I'll read that myself. Can you tell listeners where they can go to find out more about you personally and about the things that you're working on? Uh, yeah, um, I guess humbly.com. Go there. That's like kind of like a parent company for 